guys. Welcome back to our teaching in the Gospel of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 20, and we were as we were looking at the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, what we want to remember is chapter 20 actually reaches the climax of the Gospel of John, that is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And this resurrection of Jesus from the dead is actually the climax of all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The resurrection is the climax of all the Gospel. However, for the Gospel of John, the resurrection plays a significant role in the sense that it takes us all the way back to the intent of John's Gospel. Remember, when John opens his Gospel, he opens it in a peculiar way. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is, everything that God is, the Word is. So John is teaching us, John's whole point is, he is speaking to the fact that Jesus is God in every way. And what happens? For verse number 14 of John chapter 1, the Word became flesh, dwelt among, amongst us, and what happened? Verse number 18, he exegeted the Father. In other words, remember when Jesus said unto Philip, have I been with you for so long a time that you do not understand even until now that to see me is to, to see me is to see the Father. That is all that Jesus is, the Father is, all that God is, Jesus is, even though we understand these, these, this to be two distinct and separate persons, but nevertheless, the theme of John's gospel is the divine nature of Jesus. That is, Jesus is God Almighty. And so how we see this uh, merging together with the climax of John is in last chapter. In the resurrection, remember that Thomas was absent when Jesus appeared unto the disciples in the house. And when Jesus and Thomas made that declarative statement, unless I take my hand and put it into those, uh, into the hands, into the side, I will not believe. And then Jesus appeared unto Thomas and told Thomas to examine him. And what was the statement of Thomas? My Lord and my God. So it takes us all the way back. And John's, and what John is saying in his gospel is, that's the whole point of what I've been trying to tell you. Jesus is God. And it is spoken from the mouth of uh, Thomas in seeing Jesus in resurrected form. So we also understand another thing about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It proves all throughout. Remember what John was trying to do all throughout his gospels? John said he selected seven signs. Jesus did many other signs, but John only selected seven signs, those signs to prove that Jesus did things that no human being could do. Only God could do these things. So John climaxed his gospel in the mouth of Thomas, my Lord and my God. But nevertheless, even though this climaxes and all, and really kind of brings an end to John's gospel, John decided not to end his gospel there. He wanted to end his gospel with the sense of two things, the restoration of Peter and the idea of commissioning, that is sending forth the disciples. Now, there's not, we already saw that idea of sending forth the disciples in John chapter 20, when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And as my father sent me, I send you. He also continues that idea, but not in a direct way, but in an indirect way. Okay. But so I won't get into all of that. Let's just go into chapter 21. Now, chapter 21 is not too long. And of course, we should be able to finish it in a single video. And of course, it is quite narrative. That is the first part of it. It's kind of like a story part, but there is a great meaning to this story that's oftentimes, I believe, is overlooked. But anyway, so let's get into chapter 21, deal with the restoration of Peter, and let's finally close out the gospel of John. Verse number one, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, also called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, 
I am going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out of the land, got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. So let's stop there because it's so long. All right. But for the most part, for the most part, this is basically at this is the this is the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples. Okay. His third appearance since his resurrection from the dead. So what happens? So we can see, we can imagine the confusion in the minds of the disciples. You know, they were going to Jerusalem not too many too too many days earlier, and they were thinking that they were going. Remember, this is the, the triumphal entry when Jesus came riding on the uh, back of the coat, and they were thinking that Jesus would be glorified at that time in the sense that Jesus would be made king, rule over Israel, and subdue all of her Gentile enemies. So they had this mindset and concept that Jesus was about to rule and reign over Israel, but then everything went wrong. All of a sudden, they're at the table, and Jesus says that one of their very closest disciples would betray him. Judas, Judas goes out to the chief priest and returns back with soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he takes Jesus, and they put Jesus under arrest. Jesus is taken to a mock trial before the uh, before uh, Annas, and then before Caiaphas, and then finally he's taken before Pilate, where he is condemned to death. Then Jesus is treated so brutally by the, by the Roman soldiers, and finally he's crucified, and then all of a sudden he's risen from the dead. What am I trying to say? They are absolutely confused to what they thought would take place, and none of it has happened. And they are also confused as to what they should do. So what, what happens? So Peter has a family. He has wife and probably no doubt children. And some of the other disciples, they have to make a living as well. They really uh, don't have the understanding of what direction that they need to take in life. And so Peter just says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. I need to <laughs> go on with my life. And this is what we see. But also to notice the other disciples who were also with Peter. And this speaks of that leadership role that Peter still had. The leadership role in the sense of his sphere of influence that he still had with the other disciples. So what happened? They get in the boat. And of course, and the fishing is done at night in the coolest time when the fish would usually come to the top of the water and it'd be easier to catch. And so they did their fishing and they absolutely caught nothing. And so the next morning, all of a sudden they hear there's Jesus standing on the shore. Now, whether it was a little bit dark or whether it's too far away or whether the appearance of Jesus, because we do know that the appearance of Jesus was a little different. It was, was slightly different than the appearance of Jesus before his resurrection, okay? But they didn't quite recognize Jesus. So Jesus calls out to them and asks them, have you caught anything? Children, have you caught anything? And so they replied to Jesus, no, we hadn't caught anything. And so Jesus tells them to cast their net to the right side of the boat. Now, clearly, whether the net is on the right side or the left side is not gonna make that big of a difference. But what you're going to see is 
by following the direction of the Lord, they are going to experience a miracle and catch a large amount of fish. So now here's where we have to stop and try to make some sense of what's going on. Not only is this letting them know that this is Jesus, okay? Why? That this is similar to something that happened earlier when, when Jesus, early in his ministry, when Jesus was preaching and he went out and they were in the boats and Jesus asked them, did they catch nothing? They caught nothing. And so Jesus told them to cast their nets out and so they caught something. And this was one of the miracles that Jesus had performed, all right, earlier. So we see a similar miracle like this. So this miracle helps them, number one, to identify Jesus. So that's what we need to see. It identifies the person of Jesus. But what we also have to remember is when they obeyed, when they followed the direction of Jesus, they were able to catch a large amount of fish. And notice John gives us a specific number, 153. Now we'll talk about that as we work our way down through this. So uh, they catch the fish and all of a sudden, John, in seeing these things, understands, he, just like he got to that understanding when he went into this uh, the cave where Jesus was buried, he saw the clothing laid to the side. He understood the resurrection of the dead. And also by this miracle, John understood that this was Jesus. And so he says unto Peter, and of course to the other disciples, it's the Lord. And so Peter in his normal impulsive behavior, put on his clothes, and instead of simply coming in the boat, he jumped in the water and went out to meet Jesus. And finally, the other disciples, getting all of the fish on the boat, took another boat and came out to see Jesus. When they came to see Jesus, Jesus already had a fire burning and food in preparation for them to have breakfast. And he basically says to them, eat and have breakfast. Now, the question is, why is Jesus doing these particular things that he is doing? It is not, we cannot speak with absolute clarity, not with absolute clarity, but this does seem to suggest something. Why? Number one, let's look, let's examine the case. Peter is fishing once again, right? And so Peter, as well as the other disciples, and in their fishing, let's look at what happened. Their fishing, they caught nothing. But at the command of Jesus, that is, with the help of Jesus, Jesus commands them cashing it to the right side. With Jesus's help, they catch a large number of fish. All right. Then at the same time, they come to the back to the shore and there is Jesus with breakfast already prepared, kind of, kind of considered like a smaller catch. This seems to be a spiritual indication of what they will do. Remember when Jesus first called them, what did he say? I will make you fishers of men. Now, go back to the confusion that I talked about, the confused state of the disciples after everything that had taken place with Jesus. They don't know exactly what they're going to do. But once again, we have this what? Fishing scenario and Jesus manifests himself in this fishing scenario. And what do the disciples do? They catch many fish. So we can relate this to, to the life of Jesus and to the work of Jesus. What do we see? In Jesus's lifetime, that is in his earthly ministry before Jesus resurrected from the dead and would ultimately ascend into heaven, Jesus caught a few fish, that is a few men came to salvation by Jesus's work, by Jesus's own ministry on this earth. A few men, a few fish, Jesus caught a few fish, a few men got saved, but through the work of the disciples, and that is after Jesus will ascend into heaven. Remember, that's the whole point of Jesus giving them the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point of Acts chapter 20, when Jesus breathed on them and gave them their commission. See, this is the idea of the commission that I was talking about, that they would catch many fish. And so what do we see? Jesus having a few fish prepared that he had caught, and they, through Jesus's help, caught many fish. So let me talk about that part. And here's another, okay, 
That is, in whatever work that they will do for Jesus, remember what Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So even in their great commission, that they would go out into the world. What would Jesus say in the book of Acts? That you must begin at Jerusalem, then what? Your ministry go to Judea, then even the ministry of what? Samaria, and even the ministry of what? To the uttermost part of the world, to the Gentiles itself, catching a great, great number of men fish for Jesus. Even in this, always remember, without me, you can do nothing. They were fruitless in their endeavor, in their fish catching endeavor until Jesus spoke the word. So in their future endeavor of catching men for Christ, they will not be able to do so without the power and help of the Lord Jesus. And we know that Jesus will manifest this help through the power of the Holy Spirit that will indwell them. So what do we see? So in all of this scenario, it seems to suggest that there is a spiritual lesson to be taught. Jesus caught a few fish, a few men in his lifetime, but he will empower them to catch many men as they continue in the ministry that Jesus will give them to do. And so Jesus is once again, what? Setting forth that example. And this seems like a parabolic type of a thing of them in their commission. He is commissioning them to catch a great number of fish. Now, a lot has, a lot has been said about the number of fish, the 153 fish that were caught. And a lot of people say these are the number of nations and whatever. I don't believe that this is what John is trying to say. If we remain consistent with John's uh, teaching in his gospel, John is simply giving us a number, a specific number, because he is giving us an eyewitness account. In other words, John is simply saying, these things happened because I was there. I was there to know what happened. I was there to see what happened. I even saw the number of fish that were called in the same way what John talked about earlier. Remember when Jesus was crucified, John said, when that soldier speared Jesus in the side, there came forth blood and water. And I was there as an eyewitness to see. And so one of the emphasis, sub themes even of John's gospel is, I am providing you an eyewitness account of all of these things. Okay, so that's basically what's going on. So uh, with all of that, we see basically what a sense of commissioning them to go out and catch fish, but no longer the fish of occupation, that is the fish in the sea, but fish of men. And that's basically what we see. Okay. And now we're going to see the concentration is going to be upon Peter. So now let's continue. Verse number 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So to end this little picture here, they come to the shore and there is Jesus. He has already prepared breakfast for them and he just sent, and the breakfast is fish. And so he just simply says to them, come and eat. And John says to us, this was the third time that Jesus manifested himself. He appeared to the disciples after his resurrection from the dead. And what is important about this is the eating of the bread and the fish and the appearances of Jesus, John is once again emphasizing that these were physical appearances of Jesus. Remember, as I told you earlier, in the epistle of John, first epistle of John, John is going to have to deal with some of the false doctrine that is moving in the church. And that is Jesus is God. There will be those who will believe that Jesus is God but they will not believe that Jesus came in the flesh. He had a physical body. So what we see in the gospel of John, as well as in the epistle of John, is John pushing the fact 
Jesus came in the flesh. He rose again in the flesh. He had a physical and the fleshly body. And apart from this physical and fleshly body of Jesus, there can be no salvation. So let me just simply tell you why. If Jesus did not have a physical and fleshly body, there could not be a body to the which God could place his wrath upon. There could not be any shed blood for sin. What does the book say? For we know that by what? By the shedding of blood, we have the remission of sin. And only the blood of the Messiah could take away sin. The blood of sheep, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. But the great offering of Jesus, when he offered his body on Calvary's cross, only that blood could take away sin. Thus, if Jesus did not have a physical body, he could not die, and therefore sin would remain. There would be no salvation. There would be no redemption. So John in his gospel consistently does what? He tells us Jesus had a physical body, and he gives us these scenarios to the fact that shows us what? Jesus acting in physical way preparing food, eating food, allowing himself to be examined. Okay. But enough of that. But John's point here is this is the third time that Jesus has manifested himself. Now, now we're going to get to Peter's restoration because we remember that it was Peter. Now, and I get, you know what? Yeah. Let me talk about this before. It was Peter when Jesus was in the garden right before he was betrayed by Judas. He had uh, said to Peter that he had told all of the disciples that they would flee. But Peter had confidently told Jesus. Now, here's what you got to remember. Here's what you got to remember. Though all may leave you, though all of them may leave you, though all of them may fall away, I will not fall away. So what Peter did was he set himself apart from the rest of the disciples in simply saying that they may be weak and run away in your time of need, but not me. I am strong. I am different. And so it's with that mindset of how Peter set himself apart from the rest of the disciples, not so much thinking that he was better than, but simply saying that he was stronger than the rest of the disciples. So in that sense of separating himself from the rest of the disciples, Jesus is going to reapproach him once again in restoring Peter. Because what happened? Even though Peter in his own mind thought he would do well, what did Jesus say unto Peter? Before the rooster crows, you will three times deny that you even know me. And Peter fulfilled the words of Jesus, denied Jesus three times. And remember what happened to Peter? What did he do? He went out and wept bitterly. So you can imagine how miserable Peter was feeling all of this time since Jesus rose from the dead. What thought would always be in his mind when he needed me? You know what I did? I denied that I even knew him. It was probably hard for Peter to look at Jesus's face. And remember, Peter was like, so, so to speak, the lead disciple. Peter was like the chief disciple. And you can see, even as we talk here, Peter still had that sphere of influence in leading the disciples. So you can imagine how bad Peter felt as well as how unworthy that he felt. Unworthy of what? Unworthy of the commission that Jesus gave him in the first place. Probably thinking, okay, I blew it, and you know what? That's it for me. So what we're going to do now, and what Jesus is going to do now, is literally restore Peter. He's going to restore Peter in the same manner in which Peter failed. That is, Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus will restore him three times. All right, so let's look at the text, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? He said to him, 
Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Okay, now this is a beautiful section. And as I told you, it is dealing with the restoration of Peter back to his apostolic ministry, recommissioning him to do the job that Jesus called him to do in the first place to carry the gospel, all right? Now, we do need to examine the way in which Jesus spoke to him. We gotta examine the text because there are certain nuances that you wouldn't quite catch here, all right? But anyway, so what happens? So breakfast is now over. Jesus turns his attention to Peter. And so he says, now notice what he says, Simon, son of John, notice what he says. Do you love me? more than these. Remember what I told you about what Peter said to Jesus when Jesus said that they would all fall away? Remember Peter's confident assertion? They may all fall away, but not me. I'm stronger than they are. I'll stand by you when they run away. Notice how Jesus confronts Peter this time. Do you love me more than these? So, because clearly what you were saying was what? You were saying, if you were going to stay by me when everybody else would run away, you were saying that you loved me more than these. I'm asking you now, Peter, do you still stand by that assertion? Do you still stand by that assertion? You have this loyalty and love for me even greater than your brothers, like you said at first. So what Jesus is actually doing is, with Peter's own word, he is confronting Peter, but also he is humbling Peter. And Peter indeed is humbled because in the Greek, when Jesus asked Peter, there's a Greek word, agapao, agapao. The word agapao in Greek means to love with a self-sacrificing love. And so Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me in a self-sacrificing manner? Agapao. And Peter responded and said to him, yes, Lord, you know. Now, that's important, too. That's always important. As we look at the responses of Peter, Peter going to say, you know, you know, you know. What? You know, you know, you know. Why is that important? Because when Jesus told Peter, right before Jesus was uh, arrested, and he told Peter, as well as the other disciples, that they would all be scattered, Peter Peter denied the fact. Peter said, no, 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 this will not happen. The point is, Jesus told Peter one thing and Peter denied it and said, no, Jesus, that is not true. I will not leave you. In other words, Peter was saying to Jesus, when Jesus says, you guys are going to flee from me. Why? Because it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And what did Peter say? They'll run away, not me. Now, Jesus said one thing. Peter said, that's not true. Peter is saying to Jesus, you do not know. So here, what is Peter now saying? I have learned what you do know. And we're going to see that build in a crescendo. But now let's go back to the text of the first, do you love me? So the agapao, remember that's the word that is used in the Greek for love. Love with a self-sacrificing love. But when Peter responded to Jesus, Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. He used a new, a different Greek word that is being used here. It is the word phileo, that is to love in a friendly way. Now, what is Peter saying when Jesus says, agapao, to love me self-sacrificial, that you would sacrifice your life for me? That's how Jesus actually loved him. But Peter's response was, I love you as a friend. So what is Peter doing? Is Peter saying he doesn't love Jesus sacrificially? I think what Peter is doing is he is responding to Jesus with humility. Remember, he feels horrible. What happened when Peter finally denied Jesus for the third time that rooster crowed and it came back to his remembrance of what Jesus said? He went out and wept bitterly. What is Peter's state of mind even after the resurrection from the dead that we talked about? He don't know what to do. And no doubt he's in despair because of how he, his behavior is abhorrent at this time. And so what? 
that great confidence that he once had at the first, he sure ain't got it now. So when Jesus asked him about Agapao, did you love me self-sacrificially? Even what? More than these? Peter, you can see his head drop. And he said, Lord, I can't say that I do like I used to do, Lord, but I am your friend and I'll try to do my best to stay beside you. <laughs> so what happens? Jesus responds to him again. What? Second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Jesus used that same word, agapao. Do you love me in a self-sacrificing way? And Peter responded to him the same way. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know. Remember what I said about the you know. Again, you know, you know, you know. And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo. In other words, I love you as a friend. And then he says to him, shepherd my sheep. But let me go back. Let me go back. Because at the first, I love you. I'm sorry. You know that I love you from Peter. Jesus responded and said, tend my lambs. Arneon. That's the Greek word that is used here. Tend my lamb. That is, Jesus is commissioning Peter to take care of his people. But he used the terminology of lambs. Lambs refer to the baby sheep. That is, these are disciples who are immature, disciples who are first coming into the knowledge of the Lord. These are people who don't know of Jesus, and therefore they are called what and referred to as what? Lambs, baby sheeps, people who yet, who yet do not have maturity in Jesus, knowledge of Jesus. These are just the new form disciples. Then he comes to him the second time with the same agapao, do you love me self-sacrificially? Peter comes to him the same time saying to Jesus, you know, you know that you know that I do love you, but I love you as a friend. Again, this is what the humility of Peter. He doesn't have all of that confidence and bravado that he had the first time and failed miserably. And Jesus says to him, what? Shepherd my sheep. Now this proboton, that's the Greek here, but the sheep here are the mature sheep. These are the adult sheep. So you can see the categories that Jesus is using from what? The baby lambs, immature, uh, new disciple, those who don't know much, unto the full sheep, the mature sheep, those who are mature in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he says to Peter to take care of his people, both groups, both what? The new believers, new and inexperienced believers, as well as what? The mature believers, that Peter's job is to take care of the people of God, both new and even mature believers. But again, Peter says what? I love you as a friend, that humility. Then the third time Jesus asked Peter, but this time, now when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Jesus used Peter's word. He used the word phileo, that is to love me as a friend. Okay, Peter, fine. Since you say what? You don't love me self-sacrificially. Do you love me like a good friend? And when Jesus brought it down like that and asked him three times, uh, pretty much for the most part, the same thing about loving him, but different nuances, as we've just told you guys, it was disheartening to Peter. And that's what Jesus wanted to bring out, that disheartening to Peter that relates to Peter's denial of Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Jesus, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He brought Peter all the way back around when he asked him for the third time, and we see the heartbrokenness, Peter remembering how he denied three times. And what does he do? He says to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. And that's the point. That's the point that Jesus was trying to make. When Jesus tells you something, bank on it. He knows what he is talking about. When Jesus tried to tell you in the garden of Gethsemane that you would all leave him and even Peter, that you would deny him. You believe what Jesus is saying. Why? Jesus is God almighty. And guess what? One of the characteristics of God is he knows not some things. What? 
all things. And what is again, saints, the theme of John's gospel, Jesus is God. And what? Only God knows all things. So again, we have from the mouth here now of Peter that Jesus indeed God, why? He expresses a quality and characteristic of God, knowledge. He knows all things. And that takes us back, what? To the previous chapter. What did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. So you see the whole idea of Jesus' divine nature, that is, that he is God, is simply enveloped in all of the gospel of John. But anyway, so Jesus said these words. So it finally tend my sheep. So in all of this, what happened? As Peter has denied Jesus and he feels no longer worthy, even he is no longer worthy of his ministry. We see the love, mercy, and compassion of our Lord in his restoration of Peter. Okay. And let me say this too, because sometimes we fail, you know, and we do things that are not good. And we wonder sometimes, I wonder, is God through with me? And I wonder, did God take away my ministry? And I wonder sometimes, will God use me again? Let this be a lesson to you, according to Jesus' dealing with Peter. We do fail, and sometimes we fail because we become too full of pride. We're, we're overconfident. What did, what did Paul say? Take heed in thinking you stand, lest you fall. But just because you fall does not mean that it's the end. Our God, our Lord Jesus, is a God of second chances. I would even dare say third chances. But nevertheless, Jesus is a God of restoration. And when we fail him, he'll come and pick us up. He'll sit there right at the fire providing what we need. Remember, they just got through fishing, but when they got to that shore, Jesus had already prepared them what they need. He knows what you need in your heart, in your spirit to make you whole again. And what he'll do is he'll call you one more time and he'll say unto you, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. It's not over just because you fail. Jesus himself will pick you up, dust you off, and send you out one more time. But this time with a mind of humility. Okay? Now, let's go on. Let's bring it to a close. So as Jesus is still talking to Peter, let's go to verse number 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, this he says, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. OK, so then he says to him, now remember what we've been saying about in the teachings of John, the truly, truly. That is, Jesus is about to say something that is very significant even to Peter. And so what he said was to Peter was this. He said, when you were young, you know, you put on your clothes and you went wherever you wanted to go. You could do whatever you wanted to, to do and go wherever you wanted to go. He says, however, there will come a time when you will be old. So he lets Peter know that he would live to old age. But what will happen? Notice the language. You will stretch out your hand. That is the language that gives the picture of crucifixion because what when a person is crucified the hands are stretched out on a beam remember how Jesus himself was crucified on the cross the cross was like a teeth and the part the arms would be stretched out on a beam so therefore that so Peter and even John is simply saying what he is said he is saying to Peter it is in this manner that you will glorify God and we understand the glorifying of God is reminiscent of what John was talking about in chapter 12, when Jesus said he would glorify God in this manner. That is, if I be lifted up, lifted out, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me, lifted up on a cross. Same thing to Peter, your arms stretched out on a cross. And in this death, he would glorify God. 
So Jesus just, he just prophesied, spoke to Peter that you would die in this manner. So there are a couple of things that we see. Now let's go back to Peter's words to Jesus. When Peter was distraught, Jesus, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter finally saying to Jesus, what you know all things and knowing that Jesus knows all things, believe Peter, what I'm about to say, believe what? That when you get old, they are going to crucify you in the same manner in which they crucified me. And they're going to crucify me. Now let's bring it all together. Let's bring it all together. Because Jesus kept asking Peter, remember the first two times of I love you, agapao. What does agapao means? To love me in the sense you would sacrifice your life for me. But what did Peter say? Peter, in his humility, I failed the first time. I can't say that I love Jesus this way. I can only say I love him like a good friend. But notice what Jesus says now. You said you love me like a good friend, Peter. But let me tell you something. When you get old, you are going to demonstrate you don't phileo me. You don't love me like a good friend. You agapao me because I am going to help you to love me to the point that you will sacrifice your life for me. How do I know? You see, he kept asking Peter, do you love me to the point of sacrificing your life? And Peter kept saying, no, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. I only love you as a friend. But Jesus was saying to him, in time, you will see you love me just like that. Why? Because you are going to give your life for me. They will, they will lead you and you will, and the language is you will not resist. That's the language of the text. You will voluntarily go to your death for me. And we know that according to tradition that Peter was crucified. But when it came time to Peter being crucified, Peter thought that he was not worthy to be crucified like his Lord Jesus, but he asked that he should be crucified upside down. <laughs> he did just what Jesus said. You will glorify me and you will prove that you love me. Okay, that's the end of that. Let's go on. I don't want to get emotional. Peter turning around. And remember, Jesus said, follow me. Before I deal with that. And the follow me was loaded in terminology. It was loaded in the sense that Jesus, you can see there seemed to be some sort of emotion now. So they were, they remember they were sitting down to eat. So now they're getting up and Jesus said, follow me. So following Peter, Peter's following Jesus and talking, but not only following me in walking after me, but also Follow my example. Follow my example. What? Of self-sacrificing. Follow my example to what? Even giving your life for me. And you know what, saints? When you read the first epistle of Peter, first Peter, the very theme of Peter's first epistle is follow the example of Jesus, the just suffering for the unjust. But the theme of Peter's first letter is follow the example of Jesus. These very words that Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Okay. But it's a loaded term following after him, walking with him right now. In other words, come walk with me and also follow after me in my pattern of life. But now let's continue. Verse number 20, Peter turning around. He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself 
would not contain the books that would be written. So beautiful. But all right. So now, remember, they're walking. Jesus said to Peter, come walk with me. And guess who was following behind uh, Jesus and Peter? It was John. This John, John uses this third person self-identification. That is, it was the one who was leaning on Jesus' bosom when, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me at Jesus' final Passover. And John was the one who asked him the question. So John uses the third person identification. And so when Peter looked and saw John walking after John, after Jesus had, after Jesus had just told Peter what would happen to him in the end, Peter looks at Jesus and says concerning John, well, Lord, well, what about John? What's going to happen to John? And Jesus kind of says in a stern way, if I want John to live forever, how is that your business? What does that have to do with you? You just follow me. You just do what I want you to do. You just do what I command you to do. And so then, uh, so let me stop there. Let me stop there because that's a good teaching thing. It's not important what God, don't worry about what God has given other people to do. Don't worry what, what ministry, what Jesus has given to other men. Don't, and I want to say Corey, and I hope you're listening to this. <laughs> don't worry about that. You do what the Lord would have you to do. And that's the only thing that's important that you be faithful with the ministry that God has given you and God will do. And whatever God has given to anybody else, that's their business. It's up to them to be faithful in their own ministry. So we can learn something from that point, but back to the text. So what happened? Jesus kind of kind of straightens Peter out to simply say, it's none of your business. If I wanted John to live forever, to live till I come back and establish the kingdom, that's the idea, to live till I return and establish the kingdom, to live forever till that time, that's between me and John. And like always, so many times people hear things and like people often do the scriptures, they read a little passage and run with it without understanding the point of what Jesus was trying to say. This same type of confusion had came because of what Jesus said. What? Many of the disciples thought that John would not die. Why? They just heard that. What if I want him to live forever? And what did John, John said, he didn't say I was going to live forever. He said, if that's what I want him to do to live forever, that is none of your business. And so this is where we see the era of, you know, people, yeah, what's the term of people running off half cocked, half cocked and not having a good understanding. And for this reason, we should plumb the depths of the scripture. We should deal with the scripture in the fullness of its context. So we don't do what the disciples do run and have a misunderstanding of what Jesus is trying to say. And so all that Jesus was simply saying was, and John is simply straightening this out was, when Peter got nosy, worrying about what would happen to John, and Jesus just simply told Peter it was none of his business. But the way that Jesus said it was the disciples thought, taking half of what Jesus was saying, that John would never die. Now, it is interesting though, that according to what we have in uh, uh, in history, in, in not 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 biblical history, but the history of the disciples, and according to traditional traditional history, John, this disciple John, is the only one who did not die uh, by being put to death in some way. He is the only one who had a natural death, and I do believe John, this John, the disciple, lived to be over about over 90 years of age, 95 or something to that extent. But John, the disciple died a natural death, but the other 11 apostles all were killed. He was the only one who died a natural death. So we'll just simply say that. But the whole point is G Jesus was straightening Peter out and the disciples messed up what Jesus was trying to say. And let us be careful not to do the same when we read a passage of scripture and run off with that as well. But John ends his gospel to talk about Jesus's life. So he sums the life of Jesus and says, Jesus did many miraculous things. And he said, 
You know what? And if I had to write it down in a book, I guess all the books in the world could not contain the things that Jesus did. So John's in with the great number of things that Jesus did in his earthly ministry. But what we have to remember is this. Jesus only ministered for three years. Now, here's what I want you guys to just think. Just think about this. Jesus did things in three years that John said the books in the world couldn't even contain all the things that Jesus did. So imagine how many miracles that Jesus actually did. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And it takes my mind back to chapter 12 that it says what? And although he had done so many miracles before them, what? Yet they did not believe. But anyway, all right, guys, thanks for joining me with that. We have now finished the gospel of John. And what is the point of John's gospel? And we're not going to rehash everything, but we're just going to deal with the theme of John's gospel. John is saying what? Let me, allow me to give you a perspective, tell you something about Jesus of Nazareth. Not only was he man, the Messiah, who died on a cross with a physical body, shed his blood and died and rose from the dead with a physical body. It was a glorified body, but indeed it was still a physical body. Not only was he a physical Christ Messiah, he was also John's primary theme, verse number one, chapter one. He was God, or should I even use the proper verb? He is God Almighty. So from beginning to end, Jesus is God. And let me prove it to you. Let me give you some examples of signs that Jesus performed, proving that he did things that only God can do. And finally, let me, let me show you at the very end, once he resurrects from the dead, proving by that resurrection that he is God. Let me show you in the mouth of Thomas, when Thomas observed that resurrected body, when Thomas said, indeed, my Lord and my God. And let me give you another testimony, a testimony from the mouth of Peter, showing a quality and characteristic of God. Jesus, you know not some things, you know what God knows. You know all things. And in my gospel, I conclude that Jesus is the Son of God. And believing that he is the Christ coming to the flesh that died for your sin, that he is God who alone can bring salvation, you can be saved. And this concludes the Gospel of John. All right, guys, thanks for joining me with that. And I hope you enjoyed that Gospel of John that I, and I enjoyed it a whole lot too. As a matter of fact, John's gospel is my favorite of the gospels. But anyway, if you have been blessed and you uh, wanna support this ministry, and I'm asking you to support this ministry, always in the description, there's a link that you can use to support the ministry. And for those of you who have done so, let me simply say thank you. All right, guys, I'll see you next time. I don't know exactly what book we'll be studying at the next time, but we'll think about something but we'll see you then.